Welcome to the Palmetto Street Church of God message podcast. We pray that you are inspired by today's message, and we hope that you share and subscribe to this podcast so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go forth and reach many people in our world today. Enjoy the message. I want you to go with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. I want to pick up on the last point from last week. Let me tell you up front, in this new series on David, now we'll be back in Haggai Sunday morning, this is probably my least favorite subject because it's the most familiar in chapter 17. Not that I'm minimizing it, but just because it's so well known. But I, last week was very, it was special in here as we talked about a man of God going to anoint a boy that's not even recognized at his father's table, which was an act of treason, but the will of God trumps the will of man. Amen? And so I want to pick up, I'm going to read just a few verses from last week, then we'll move forward. I'm going to say this again, pressed by the Spirit of God. This is, if you're visiting, this is not normal, but I want to say it again as I feel pressed in my spirit. God is a healer. God will heal the body, the mind, the emotions, and the scars and the wounds of people. God is a healer. I, I'm going to say it again. God is a healer in this house. Amen? Oh, I feel pressed to say that to people, not be encouraged. Go with me, please, to verse 19. When you have it, say amen. amen. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them went by, his, by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly and became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit of God was upon Saul, that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Heavenly Father, you still raise up one and sit down another. Tonight, God, I pray that you would use this word to encourage and strengthen. There are some great truths in this text that we overlook. And that would be my ambition tonight. To be your mouthpiece to this house. And Father, for that, we're going to give you praise. And everybody said, amen, you may be seated tonight. It is amazing that last week we talked about the things that surrounded the life of David to get him to this point. Even when he was not recognized by his own father, and I showed you the lineage, I showed you the, the rumors, I showed you the things surrounding his life, that he would not even be recognized to come to the table. But we also show, I also showed you how the hand of God cannot be fooled or bewitched by the hands of man. That God would even tell his man, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him, but be of good cheer, I've already provided another man that I will place there for my people. His name was David, and we left off last week, we got to this last point, how God would now make opportunity, even though the boy king, who was not yet king, but he's waiting to be king. How does that happen? Well, verse 18, we find out. The Bible allows a spirit to trouble Saul, and Saul goes, I can't rest, I can't sleep. And the servant, somebody say servant, never put the servant down. Everybody wants promotion, 
But the greatest promotion is to be a servant. The servant always wins. You can't get in the White House until the president's chamber, but the servant can. They will arrest you, but the servant has a pass. A servant with a basin of water and a towel is dangerous to the enemy or to the kingdom of darkness. Verse 18, the Bible said, the servant said, I know somebody. I've heard of someone. He is a talented harp player. He is a brave warrior. He has sound judgment and wisdom. Sounds like he's talking about an old man, but he's not. He's talking about a teenage boy. He's also good looking, but the most important thing that the servant says is that the Lord was and is with him. Never, never touch a man. Never touch a woman, even when you don't understand them, if God's hands upon them. Leave it alone. The book of Acts said, if it be of God, leave it alone. If it's not, it'll fall apart. But if it be of God, who can pull down the strong arm of God? If God's hands on them, you may, you're not seeing a completed project, for David was not completed. We know his life. We know his wins and his failures. But if God's hand is upon them, you best not touch the men of God or the women of God. The servant said, the Lord is with them. Verse 19, Saul sins for the king. No, Saul sins for the shepherd. He's anointed to be king, but he's a king in waiting. He's still the shepherd. Just because you got a call on your life, don't despise the day of small things. You want everybody to serve you, but you don't want to serve nobody. <laughs> I've not even got a chapter 17 yet. I'm just talking. And so you want everybody to recognize you, but you can't recognize anybody else. You want everybody to pat you on back for what you do, but you can't see other people's gifts. Be weary of people that always have to be promoted and pampered. They will exhaust you. Let them pastor the church down the road. Because I will not be able to be that pastor. I, I think I'm very good at sending cards and, and checking and encouraging. But when a church decides, I'm going to miss some things. Do you understand? Especially since I have an anointed ADD mind. <laughs> My mind's already into the next ministry, the next thing, the next region of the PD, the next minister to raise up, the next ministry. And I'm going to drop some things. But be careful because at this very moment, if you can't recognize somebody else's gift, then why should we recognize yours? David was a shepherd. Don't despise being a shepherd. Well, I'm called to be king. It's not your time yet. God's not set that man down. And we're going to talk about this a little bit in a few minutes about the right enemy. If you try to sit them down, you'll get ahead of God and you'll make a mess. It's not your place to do that unless you are positionally called a place by God himself. You are not the church inspector. You're not. Pastor, I guess you are. Not all the time. No, I'm not. There are times in my youth I would go home and pray like this. Now, God, I love pastoring these people, but there's about four or five of them I think you ought to take out behind the church. But as I get older, as I get older, I realize maybe they're not always wrong. Maybe they're holding me accountable. Maybe they're seeing something that I'm not seeing. Let me find the value there. I'm trying to hurry. Verse 20, Jesse sends for him. 
Verse 21, he begins serving. Somebody say serving. The king is serving the next king, and he has a front row seat on what to do and what not to do. God has providentially placed him to allow him to serve the man who he's already been anointed to take his seat. And if that man knew that, he would probably kill him. But God has placed him there to see what to do and what not to do. Don't despise where God places you. Sometimes it's for a lifetime. Other times it's for a season. But while you're there, don't throw stone at God. Open up your eyes and glean on what to do and what not to do. Verse 22, he is so good there that Saul falls in love with him. This is not a sinful act. He is so good that Saul allows him to be his armor bearer, and it means exactly what it says. He carried his armor. Verse 22, Saul asked Jesse to let him stay with him. Verse 23, the Bible said, and when the spirit would come, David would play, and Saul was better. Why? Because David had character. God's not going to place you where your character can't keep you. You anointed, but do you have character? Don't get bad with me, I'm just talking. You have an anointing, but do you have character? Do you have character that says, I'm not going to be alone with that person? Do you have character to say, that's not my money? Do you have character to say, I'm called, I love the anointing of God, therefore I've got to endure some hard things? That's in the Bible too, saints. Character. What was his character? First of all, he never abused his position. David understood it wasn't his time yet because there was still a king on the throne and God did not tell him to touch him. In fact, God told him not to. Two times David could have killed Saul and he does not. Even when Saul tries to kill David and almost hits him, David still does not retaliate in that manner. It is not always your job to remove somebody. It is your job to remain in character and have integrity and walk in your anointing. Brother, I think I could do a better job than so-and-so. If so-and-so is still there, then evidently it's not your time yet. So until it is your time, the second thing with him, and I, I'm, I'm taking my time walking through the series, David doesn't start rumors about Saul. Your rumors are not godly. I think I, I, I want to be the piano player at, at Pound Ministry. Well, they have a couple, but they're looking for some more because we want to raise up more praise teams. In case we have a satellite church or we have to help a smaller church, we're doing that now. But there's a way to go about that. Spreading rumors on Michelle or Russell is not the way to go about that. Well, I saw Brother Russell riding with somebody. It was a woman. It was his mother. <laughs> See the other side of the story? It's how you present it. <laughs> it's what I read recently. Did you hear about our pastor? He was in a building, and he had an overnight sleepover with 30 people. Now, doesn't that sound bad? But we didn't tell him the second part that it was at the Hampton Inn in his own room. <laughs> See, it's how you present it. I saw Michelle. No, just stop all that nonsense. David's job was not to make rumors about Saul. David's job was to carry his shield. David's job was to carry his luggage. David's job was to serve him. Don't despise the day of being a servant. You don't get to a place in a position with God where people are serving you unless you have served other people. Serving people opens a door so people can be approved by God. Serve John 13. 
Jesus said, before I go, let me show you one last thing. Who's going to be the greatest, Jesus? One of them gets their mother, actually two get their mother involved, and she says, can Neil sit on this side? Can Steve sit on this side? Another one asks God, God, when are you going to restore your kingdom? And while all that chatter is going on, Jesus takes off his garment, grabs a bucket of water, and grabs a towel and begins to wash their feet. Palmetto Street, the day that we're too big to wash people's feet, we have missed out with God. Not only does he not start rumors, he doesn't talk about things like this. If I was in charge, I'm not talking about him. I'm saying if I was in charge. Now you're talking about him. Don't justify it with tongues. Don't spiritualize it with scripture. Don't testify over and fall out on the floor and need a catcher. There's some things about walking in the spirit that has to do with integrity and character. That touched on body prayer, amen. Is this all right tonight? Let me touch on this. David is loyal. He's a loyal servant serving, being faithful. David could have killed him, but he does not. He serves him. Why? And this is what I want you to get before we go to chapter 17. If you don't get this, you won't understand David and Goliath. David understands, understood, and we should understand who our enemy is and who our enemy shall be. You've got to know who your enemy is. If you don't know who your enemy is, you will fight the wrong people, the wrong powers, and you will miss out on God and what God's trying to do. We don't fight against flesh and blood, but spiritual wickedness in high places. It's not the immediate flesh that is our enemy. David recognizes who his enemy is, and he is wise. Saul was not his enemy. No. His enemy doesn't show up really to chapter 17. Saul was king. What was going on in Saul's life was between Saul and God. God did not need David to kill him. God needed David to serve him. That's good. Why? Because God did love Saul. And God raised up Saul. And when Saul falls, it's not because God didn't want him. It's because Saul wouldn't listen And through it all, God gave opportunity and chance. And David serves him because Saul was not his enemy. Never let your heart turn. Guard your heart. The reason that David is so successful is not because he didn't make mistakes. David struggled with family issues his whole life. But David had a heart for God. And the reason he had a heart for God, David understood about being loyal to God and loyal to the people of God. And he didn't blur or cross that line. And because of that, God honored him in the right time. David's anointed to be king. It's just not time to crown him yet. I was called to preach in my mother's womb, but it wasn't time yet. You listening? Be wise. Don't violate scripture, pastor. My enemy is my boss. And I've not even gotten to my lesson tonight. My enemy is my boss. I'm not sure about that. Because when I read scripture, it tells me that you've got to honor your boss. Colossians teaches us how to, how to work godly in a work environment. Pastor, my enemy is my spouse. When I wake up in the morning, everything about them makes me sick. Everything? (laughs) You can't find one good thing? Just one? 
then that means you need to go back to an altar and pray because you married them. Unless they're violating scripture, unless there's some violation of scripture, then you need to start over again with them. They're not your enemy. Satan is your enemy trying to steal your marriage. Start over. Start over that very moment. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Start right then. Why did you fall in love with them? Because I thought she was rich, Pastor. Well, you made a mistake, but you still married them. <laughs> you thought that was a high-dollar pocketbook, but it, they bought it from the flea market, praise God. Amen. Start over. Is this okay tonight? I want you to remember that thought as we jump to chapter 17. I'm going to try in 23 minutes to give you David and Goliath. I want you to remember that David knows who his enemy is. Know who your enemies are. And quit thinking that the church down the road is our enemy. The Baptist church down the road is not our enemy. We might not agree on every little detail, but they believe in the sufficiency of Christ. The Lutheran church across the road is not our, our enemy. Be careful what you say about people at Palmetto Street. We have people of every denomination. We have people from so many countries coming here now, and more are coming. So be careful what you say. Well, Pastor, I don't mean much. I don't mean nothing by it. Yes, you do. Be careful you offend somebody that we're trying to win to the kingdom of God. Off-color jokes about people that run gas stations. Look around on Sunday morning. Look who's here. God loves those people. What happened to the church? It's inside of us. It doesn't need to be there. Repent of that stuff. They're not our enemies. Brother Nolan, that person didn't vote like us. How do you know? But do they have a soul? Should we reach out and pray for them? Should we meet Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Now, now, you won't hear that on the news, but your pastor will tell you what the scripture says. Your favorite politician won't say that. What about Romans 12? Be you not conformed this world, this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will know what is the, your reasonable service that is accepted by God. Then read what happens after that. I'm going to preach on that in October. Should be a challenge to the church. Do you see the statistic that came out today through the assembly of God? One of the greatest hindrances to the new revival is that people at, uh, at restaurants of coming out of COVID, that they don't want to deal with church people, especially Pentecostal people. Shame on us. But Brother Nolan, the service was slow. They don't have the staff that they used to have. We're, we're, we're going to show somebody what we don't possess because the eggs at the Waffle House got here four minutes slow. Oh, bless you and your, your time of difficulty. Such agony has come upon you from Babylon, right? Satan has rose up against us because Outback has messed up my order. When your food at that moment is three hours of her time, she's not your enemy. David understood who his enemy was. Let's jump to 17. You ready? Look to your neighbor and say, that wasn't the sermon, but it was good. Help me out. <laughs> I need help tonight. <laughs> there are three things that you've got to know before we jump into chapter 17. First of all, chapter 17 is a byproduct of chapter 14. Chapter 14 is a downfall of the leadership that allows 17 to come to promotion. Chapter 14 allows this to happen. You can go back and read about what was tolerated, what was allowed and not allowed, but because the army was weak, the army did not prevail. Therefore, now we have chapter 17. What you do today matters. 
what you don't kill today will grow. When we don't kill all the Amalekites, they raise up to fight our children. Two, just, just teach it, just teach it. 20% of this chapter, 20% of this chapter is not about the, the battle. 20% of this chapter is about getting to the battle and what happens with, uh, with Saul and his partner after the battle. We focus on David and Goliath. The David and Goliath battle is quick, it's 20%. 80% though is David getting to the battle. To me, the miracle is not David killing Goliath, it's getting David to Goliath. David shouldn't be there. He's not in the army, he's not signed up, he didn't get the sign-on bonus. He's not Tom Cruise and Top Gun riding on a motorcycle, you understand? That's not him. He doesn't belong there. Nobody sees his value. He's just, a, he's just a cheese and bread toter. He's just a reporter for his father. He gets there. His own brother Eliab doesn't think he belongs, thinks he has a wicked heart. Even Saul rebukes him, go home. Nobody thinks he should be there. Getting David to Goliath is the miracle. Sometimes at church we celebrate what happens, but we don't see the process before. The process is what amazes me as a pastor. When somebody comes to our church new, we don't know who told them, who invited them, how they were watching on social media, and they have all this history, but when they get here, that doesn't matter, but that is the miracle that matters to get them here. The miracle is getting David to the valley. That's the miracle, and we miss it. Three, always remember that the Abrahamic covenant is in play in the Old Testament. God says, those that curse you, I'll curse them. And those that bless you, I'll bless them. The promises of God are still yay and amen. <laughs> in the New Testament, now we walk in the sufficiency of Christ. We live upon the umbrella of the word of God, and we're filled with the Holy Ghost. So the promises that come through Christ, that are in God's word, and come through the promises of the Holy Ghost, they are still on our life, they are still in effect, and they are at work every day of our life. There are no days off, 365, 24-7, in Florence, Timminsville, or South Florence. Amen. Are you listening? Genesis 12 and 3. Now, verse 1 and 3. I'm going to break this down in, in, in sections real quick. So verses 1 and 3, now they're in the valley of Eli. David is too, too young to serve as a warrior in verse 1 and 2. Yet, but there is a warrior, a lion inside of him. He, in his adolescent years, he is now at the valley, not because he is skilled. Remember, they did not recognize his skill. His own father didn't recognize his skill. His brothers didn't believe his skill, nor his stories of killing lions and tigers and bears. The only reason he is there because he has bread and cheese, and his elderly father needs a report. 15 miles southwest of Jerusalem, there stands a man, not a captain that I can understand, but a champion. A champion by the name of Goliath, and he stands there for 40 days, and he is throwing insult after insult. And it seems in Scripture that they get greater as the days go by, cursing our God. This nine-foot-tall giant, almost 10, his, his helmet and breastplate is 125 pounds. The, the tip of his javelin, the spear itself, weighs 15 pounds. Here is this mammoth of a man. But what he doesn't know on this day, there comes the future king. <laughs> David doesn't weigh probably 125 pounds soaking wet. 
But Goliath, just his breastplate, his helmet is 125 pounds. And this king is not dressed like Saul. This king comes with cheese and bread. Be careful how you judge people. God sees what man doesn't see. God sees on the heart. A champion emerges here. I'm trying to hurry. Twice a day, Goliath will come out and taunt the people of God and taunt our God. But nobody will accept this challenge. Verse 12, I'm hurrying. David comes on the scenes. But notice what is not said about David. Goliath, notice what is said about Goliath. Goliath, we talk about his height. We talk about what he's wearing. We talk about how strong he is. How aggressive he is. What he's saying, how he has this foul mouth, this cursing out of our God. Nothing is said about David's stature. Nothing is said about David's strength. Nothing is said about David's weapons. Nothing is said about any of that. Nobody reminds us because we already know he's the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. He's only there because his father is old. He has three brothers in, 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 in the army itself. Everything about Goliath is outside. Everything about David is inside. Look at my strength. Look how handsome I am. Look what I can do. Those people can't help Power Ministry. Those people will set us up to fall. I'd rather have a granny full of the Holy Ghost or a 12-year-old full of the Holy Ghost than somebody that we have to open all the doors of the church to let their ego in. Come on now, somebody. Don't, don't leave me. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about those here on Sunday morning. Remember that. Amen? David has two jobs at this very moment. <laughs> two jobs only. He has the nasty job of taking care of sheep. And then he has the lowly job of being an errand boy for his father. What a difference. What a difference between Goliath's introduction to us and David's into the battlefield. In this corner, standing 10 foot tall with an with a armor of over 200 pounds, I would guess with the leg armor as well, stands this undefeated champion Goliath. And in this corner, we have a little boy with nothing but cheese and bread in his hands. It looks like he has something tucked away in his pocket, praise be to God. But what they don't know is that David has two things that, that, that Goliath doesn't have. David has a lineage that matches the prophecy that would bring about the messianic fulfillment. He has the prophecy of being a Bethlehemite, and he has the prophecy of being from the, from the tribe of Judah. And two, what they cannot me- measure is that David has a heart big as Texas, and that heart is a heart that is sold out for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you, be careful. Be careful not to step on people that come to our church in unusual ways because we don't know their background or their pedigree, and it, nor, nor should it matter, but there might be a line on the inside of them that we don't understand. They may have been through the fire. They may have been through the battles, but if God's going to call on their life, don't put those people down. Give them a chance to be raised up by the mighty hand of God. Come on, give God praise if you believe that. (laughs) I'm going to go right to eight and close like always, if that's okay. Unless God is moving. Go with me to verse 17 to verse 25. I just want to get you through the battle and we'll move on. Watch this. The way Goliath gets to the battle versus David is amazing and it's different. Goliath is predictable. He is a champion. Goliath is there because he's the one that comes out to say, give me one man. We don't have to fight, all of us. Just give me one man. If I win, we prevail. If you win, you prevail. It is predictable. 
David is not there to say, let's fight. David is there to say, Eliab, I got you some food. The father wants to know, is everything well with you? David is not there to be called out to fight. David is there because somebody ordered pizza. Food had to be brought. I don't care how you got here, you're here tonight. I don't care what you've been through, you're here tonight. I don't care who, who you know or you don't know, you're here tonight. After 25 years of ministry, I've seen God sit down third and fourth generation people. Not that that's a bad thing. I pray I have third and fourth generation Holy Ghost filled people. But the pedigree is not in the generation. The pedigree is still in the presence of God. Mm-hmm, my Lord. He's there because he's there to check on his brothers. I'm trying to go verse by verse tonight to help you. He goes, verse 20, he goes to the front line to find his brothers, and it just so happens as he gets there that Goliath begins to tone again, verse 23. And verse 24, he sees them now run. Verse 25, have you seen the giant? He comes each day. He defies our king. And then David hears this little thing and one of these don't impress me now. At 20, it impressed me. David hears a rumor that if you defeat this giant, you'll get the king's daughter. But this is what impressed me at 44. And if you defeat the giant, not the woman, but you don't have to pay taxes no more the rest of your life. That'll shout right there, praise be to the Lamb of God. And all your family, everybody at Palmetto Street. David hears this. The man stands back up again and begins to curse God and he lifts up his gods, but the God that he would speak of, a Dagon, would be there, would be probably the most prominent, I should say. He talks about his God and what he would do to David's God and he curses David God. And then David says, and it begins, if you read scripture, it's almost like David's being repetitive. David begins to ask, did you not hear what he said? Did you not hear what he said? David's going, Surely I'm missing something. There's a catch. Because this man is cussing God. Nobody wants to fight him. I want to fight him right now. I don't even need anything. But the king has said, whoever fights him and beats him gets a wife and doesn't have to pay taxes anymore. David said, that sounds like a good deal. David's like, I'll fight him by myself just because that's my God and I know my God. But there's also gifts attached. Why is nobody else not doing what they should be doing? David is there because everybody else is not there. Oh, they're there, but they're not there. They hear, but they don't hear. They see, but they don't see. Nobody wants to do anything because fear has gripped them. I come and remind you, I know it is New Testament, but God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind tonight. This man's cursing God, and David said, is there not a cause? Verse 28 30, I'm almost done. The oldest brother, when he hears him, he speaks to him, and he's angry with David. The greatest miracle of the chapter probably is not killing Goliath. I'm going to say it again. David knew his enemy. I told you that at first, but it's the obstacles of getting David there. First circumstance. David doesn't belong there because he's not, he's not the right statue. In the Olympics, they wouldn't even let him fight Goliath. He's in the wrong weight class. Not just his statue, but his youth. He's just a boy. He's never fought war. He doesn't have the right pedigree. He doesn't have experience. Location, he's not in the army. 
and the opposition is all around him. Nobody believes in him. But if you hear the voice of God, the voice of God is greater than all the opposition. Perhaps his greatest opposition is his oldest brother. His older brother is tall, dark, and handsome like your pastor. And David is not. His older brother is known once again like all the other men mentioned in this chapter by their outside looks. Saul, tallest, head and shoulder, good looking. Eliab, tall, good looking. Goliath, 10 foot tall. Everybody's known by the outside appearance. But there's one in here and one only. The one that's not recognized. The one that was not even invited to the family dinner. The one that they don't even show on the picture on the mantle. The one that his father doesn't have the picture in his wallet because of some rumors that are going around. He's never talked about by his outward appearance. It's always about his heart and his relationship with God and what God would do through him for the kingdom of God. It is still God that does the work saints. It's not man's ability. It's not man's looks. It's not man's strength. If man can do it, we wouldn't need God. But man is faithful in failing. But God is faithful in restoring and doing what he desires to do. And hell cannot stop the hand of God. If you believe that, will you give God a hand of praise? Amen. Watch this. So Eliab talks to him now and he accuses him and he accuses him wrongly. Verse 28 the Bible said that he says, why are you here? You just come to watch. If I would have been David, I would have said, no, that's what you're doing. It's 40 days. I heard of crossing the line, but the line's been moved for 40 days. You know, if you want to fight, cross this line. They cross the line. You go, well, no, I didn't mean that line. You want to cross this line? Well, how many more mountains we got to cross before somebody fights? David was not a spectator. Spectator. Then two, he even belittles him. I thought you were supposed to be watching those few sheep. The man doing nothing is trying to put down the man that's being faithful to what he was called to do. Oh, God will raise up a murderer to write to the Gentiles. God will raise up a backslidden preacher to preach on Pentecost. And God didn't take a vote to get your approval. God will raise up who he desires. You don't belong. You'll never do nothing in this church. You, you just have that little job. You drive in that little car. You come from that little family. You, you don't know nothing about this. You don't know what they know. You don't know about the abusive upbringing. You don't know about not having food in the pantry. You don't know about how God would always show up and they relied on the voice of God and the power of God. Quit looking on the outside of man. Quit looking about what we think they have and what they don't have. Quit looking at the color of skin and say, God, if you're in them, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let God use him in this last hour. He said, not only he says, do you have these small sheep, but you're not even good at your job. You neglected them. But the scripture always said that David had somebody else to watch out for his sheep. That's good by itself. He's being faithful. He was a man after God's own heart. Eliab accused him of having a wicked heart. But the Bible said he was a man after God's own heart. And his greatest opposition was his youth. Young people will make mistakes. We, we, we almost didn't hire somebody one time because they were single. And I, and I told the leadership, I said, I understand. I understand your concerns there. The natural, the natural desires of men and women, I get that. I understand that. But if we do that, then we can violate Scripture too. 
because as we read in the New Testament, it doesn't seem that Paul was married, right? right? And two, <laughs> if there's never been a married minister to mess up, then I'm with you. But if there's ever been a married minister to mess up, then we can't hold all the single people as if they have COVID-19. Is anybody listening? Y'all quiet tonight. Same way with youth. Young people are going to mess up. But can we all be honest? Brother, no, we can't let a 16-year-old preach. I want a 16-year-old to preach. I'm begging God now, God, where's the next young preacher? That's the one thing I'm not seeing yet at, at Palmetto Street that I want to see. We're bringing them in. But at Wahala, they, we were just raising up young preachers all around, all around. I've got a new council that I put together. It's not a council, but it's a, it's a, it's a wise table. I will, I'm pulling all the retired ministers together just to talk with them about the future of our church because they're needed. But I also want to see the next young preacher come up on the scene. And, but when that happens, I, I don't need you to judge them and say, well, preacher, he looks like God could use him, but, you know, with them tight, tight pants he has on, well, bless him. <laughs> Preacher, he has Nikes in the pulpit. Okay. Jesus didn't wear Nikes. Probably didn't wear a tie either. (laughs) I'm trying not to get in trouble. I don't want to be voted out tonight. I really like this job. It's my calling. I I want to be here a long time. You know, that person can't do that because culturally they don't fit. Their hair is that much too long. But every movie of Jesus, their hair, his hair is just a little long. I never understood that in Pentecostal churches. I know y'all never struggle with that. I'll move on. Let's, let's move on quickly. He doesn't let it stop him. He doesn't let it stop him. Everybody's trying to stop him. The miracle's getting him to Goliath. Goliath falls because David runs after him offensively. He's not on the defense, and he realizes Saul doesn't have his shield yet. But it's not the, it's not the slinging of the stone. David is skilled at that. I just got to get David to Goliath, and everybody's stopping him. Nobody sees his value. He's young. He doesn't belong here. He doesn't weigh enough. He's never fought this man before. He's, he's got a wicked heart. All these things are trying to stop him. I come and let somebody know tonight, Satan doesn't want you to get there because he knows if you get there, the same God that got you there is the same God that'll get you through. So he's trying to stop you from getting there. But I come to tell somebody, don't stop at Jesse's house. Don't stop on the way. Don't stop in the valley. If you hear somebody calling out your God, stand up and say, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? That's the sermon tonight. Verse 31, quickly, word gets to Saul. Verse 32, let no man's heart fail, Saul. Your servant will go fight the Philistine. David is not afraid for three reasons. Quickly, one, he has a historical mindset. He knows the promises of God that rest on him and his people historically. Oh, my goodness. Either God's true or he's a liar. Either he's faithful and true or he's a deceit and a liar. And I would not tithe. I would not give. I would not waste my time on Sunday 
if I didn't have the historical mindset to know that that word is true. So David, he has history telling him that what God said is true. Two, theologically. David understood the theological impact of not only the history of God working in his people, but the theological impact that God's word was over his life as a power that rested upon him. We are people of the spirit, but the spirit, the people of the spirit are based on people of the word. You can't have one without the other. If you're people of the spirit only, you'll, you'll, you'll run from house to house. But people of the spirit that have the, 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 the foundation of the word, you understand the linkage together that allows you to be fruitful and multiply and fill up barns for the kingdom of God. David knew the historical moment, but he knew the theological word too of God's promises. And then lastly, he had personal experience. Can I tell you tonight that we have the history to look over time and see that we serve a God who will not fail us. Then two, we have the word of God that said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. What, what do you want me to quote tonight? Name a book and I can show you where God is faithful. In Genesis, he showed us how a sacrifice will come to take away the sin of the world. Don't you understand that? I can fast forward all the way to the Psalms to show you that we sing about that soon coming king and the God that's faithful over Israel. I can take you to Haggai to show you about the new tabernacle that will come, that Jesus will come in flesh. I can over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels and show you how God spoke to all different classes and groups of people to show you that he's the way, the truth, and the life. We go to the book of Acts to show us that God is faithful to the church, that he did fill this church with power, and then we started having church. And then we, we, we didn't want to go nowhere. We wanted to stay in Jerusalem because we were good Pentecostal people and we wanted to sing right there. God allowed persecution to come, and that persecution was prophetic because the prophecy was we wouldn't just stay in Jerusalem, but we would go to Judea, Samaria, and to the other most parts of the world. So persecution got us out. Oh, and did we not go? We went everywhere. We went to Iconium and Lystra. We went over to Rome and other places doing what? Preaching Jesus and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it just wasn't for the Jew because then the Gentile received God and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't just for the white folk because the Ethiopians said, I want some of that too and the word went out everywhere and it didn't start there stop there it went to the greatest letter that was ever written probably the book of Romans and it talked about our God triumphant in our faith it didn't stop there it went to first Corinthians and second Corinthians and it told us that we can be full of power full of the spirit but we can still walk in holiness and we can still walk in excellence by the power of God I come to tell somebody I've got historical value I've got theological value but let me say this before we go I also got a experience. I've been serving God for 24 years. He was faithful then and he's faithful now and tomorrow he'll be faithful. Oh, God. Come on, Michelle. Oh, I could have tell somebody. Look over your life. David knew. David said, Saul, oh, I know you don't think I can do it. My own daddy didn't think I could be key. My brothers didn't believe me. When I was out fighting, I was out guarding my daddy's sheep. A bear would come, and then I'd hit him with a club. That's what scripture says. And then when the club wouldn't work, the Spirit of God would come upon me, and I'd grab him by his jaw. <laughs> God would prevail. 
I told you this. I don't know why it's flooding my soul. But God is so faithful. A few months ago, I told you this. Just forgive me. Just, just let, me, let me have church then. A few months ago, I'll never forget it. Aiden was going through just a couple of weeks. We were just having, just having a month. And he's a teenager. There'll be more of that, I know. But he said something to me that bothered me. He said, has God let you down? I said, son, I don't understand you. He said, Daddy, how'd you do on your taxes? I said, we did okay. We put back. I don't need no money tonight. I'm not asking for nothing. He said, but you were short, weren't you? I said, a little. He said, I wonder how much. I said, we were $1,000 short, son. But God will provide. He said, you preach all the time. I said, son, God will provide. A couple weeks later, on Sunday morning, I'll never forget it. I taught this man last week. He's from North Carolina. He's planting a church. He was sitting about right there where Gina is sitting. And he came about the church. And Aiden was with me in the first service because I threatened to beat him the night before. <laughs> I had to bring him with me. And I'll never forget that we were listening to a sermon on the way to church, and it, it really spoke to him. And the man walked up. He said, sir, you don't know me, but I've been listening to you online, and God's doing something in this church. And he said, a few weeks ago, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and I, I just want to give you this card. And people, people were all around me. We were talking and praying with people. And I said, sir, thank you. God bless you. It was blah, 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 blah. And I know I've told you this. I don't mean to be repetitive, but I feel led. We got back to my office and I was pouring sweat and, and just I was rejoicing and tired and got another service coming. And I said, Aiden, open that card right there. And he opened that card, and I'll never forget the look on his face. It's like he's seen a ghost, as they would say. And he said, Daddy, the man said that he watches you and he watches Palmetto Street. And he says that you bless him. I said, son, that's great. And he started shaking. I said, why are you shaking? He said, you don't, you don't pull nothing on Aiden. You're not going to trick him. You're not going to trick him. You're not going to use some religious hocus pocus on him. He said, Daddy, there's 10 $100 bills in here. He said, I don't understand that. I said, oh, God's so faithful. You don't have to beat him up. You don't have to start preaching. God's already preaching. Two days later, he came back to the office with me. He was having to do virtual school back then. Two days later, three days later, I, I don't remember, he was in the office. And I walked in, Miss Amy said, there's a card on your desk. And I won't, I won't say the word he, he said. It's not a cuss word, but it's not a word I like. And as I walked in my office, I said, Aiden, look at that card and open that card. Somebody was on the phone and trying to help somebody. And I saw him start shaking again. And he said, Daddy, he said, they don't have a name on here, but they said that you and Mom are doing a great job. And he said, there's five $100 bills in here. And he started crying. He said, Daddy, lately my life's falling apart. He said, every time you turn around, God's blessing you. He said a different word there about his life. I said, son, I trust him with all that I have. And I do my best to live that he could trust me. And when you learn to trust him, God will be so good to you. Let me tell you something. I can tell you stories of how God gave $100,000 one night to pay off a church at the Outland Church of God. 
I could tell you stories bigger than that about money. But that that thousand dollars wasn't for me. I could find a thousand dollars. That was for my son. That was for my son. Where he can't say, oh, you orchestrated that. You called Kevin and Kevin. No, that's a man in another state saying, the Lord told me. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because David had history to look Goliath and look Saul and say, you don't know about my God. You don't know about him. You went with me in that field with a bear cave. My only responsibility, because they didn't see me as a, as a good-looking somebody at the table, my only responsibility was to protect my daddy's sheep. And God was teaching me. That's why I wrote Psalms 23 and Psalms 27. That's why I wrote them. I got experience. Oh, I know. I can hear, I can hear the other churches talking about Pentecostal people. Y'all rely on your experiences. No, I said history. I said the Word of God. But let me also tell you something. You can't take my experience from me either. It's my testimony. It's my testimony. Stand with me, please. Stand with me, please. It is my testimony. I'll, I'll try not to ever tell that story again. That, 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 was, that was for my son. What for me? At 44, I could find a little bit of money somewhere. It was for my son, David said. And I'm not even, I won't even pick up about the Goliath. You know that story. That's not the miracle to me. That's a miracle. He was just kidding, David, there. I come to let you know tonight, you have history. You have the Word of God, and you have an experience of faithfulness. And I want you to leave this place triumphant. Look at every Saul and every Eliab and let them know he did it back then. And he'll do it again. Don't laugh at me. I'm going to let you go. It's 8.07. I held you seven minutes too long. Seven is the number of completion. I just spiritualized that. See? <laughs> Michelle, I put an old gospel song on in my office. Most people won't know the song, but it, they used to sing this at the Southern Gospel Conventions. It, it went like this. I can't sing, but I can, I, can, I can say it. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. When I take a look... You remember that song? Now where I am now, now where I've been. Watch this, and I close. He's always come through. I come to remind somebody, you've got a testimony of the faithfulness of God. Heavenly Father, I've taught your word. It's not the most skilled lesson. It is a very familiar lesson. And, and I knew that coming into this. But Father, I pray that it will resonate in the heart and mind of some people tonight. God, they're here in the valley. The champion is calling them out. Let us not run. Is there not a cause to stand up and say, I have the history. I have the word. And Satan, I want you to know, I have testimony of the faithfulness of God. This giant will fall in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and to follow us on our social media. If you would like to give to this ministry, visit us at pscog.org. Stay safe and have an incredible day in Jesus' name.